We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Nick, we can't use that intro. We can't record before lunch. It just that just makes me hungry. It does. It really does, man. Seeing all those shots, like I want to work in the kitchen and just get scraps, right? Like I'm, I'm not. I mean, I guess you can't nowadays, but I would love to just go back there and be like, oh, no one touched this order. Okay, I'm just gonna eat this, and then like I'll be cleaning with one hand and I'll be eating ribs with the other hand. Gotta love our friends at Jack Stack Barbecue again. Thanks for listening. This is Outside the Trenches, our second ever episode on this new. It's an old show with a new name and a new podcast network, uh, but we appreciate all your support. And for listening is the Chiefs. We break down the Chiefs 23-20 win over the Los Angeles Chargers in Los Angeles yesterday. That was a fun one, Nick. Uh, I know that we were texting throughout the game, and uh, this is beginning, This is going to be a Harrison Butker appreciation episode. Yes. Yes, this will be the one time I hand out props to a kicker for doing their job because whoa, he had to do his job three times. <laughs> coming in strong here. I'm jealous. Listen, Go, happy Monday. I'm jealous of special teamers. I'm so jealous of special teamers because they chose right. Like you endure a lot of crap, but if you can make it to the NFL as a special teamer, oh, I'm jealous. That chip um, is never going to leave you, is it? It's not. It's not. It's never. It's, I'm jealous of punters. Punters have it the best. All right. I, I will give you that. But I will say that as far as like badass walk off moments yeah. go, drilling three 50 plus yard field goals and then turning around after you kick it like a boss. I just I will only watch the kicker's reaction now. Like I will for, moving forward. I will only ever watch Butker's reaction on whether it's going to go in or not. I'm not going to watch the ball or try to see it like you just watch Butker and he'll tell you what's going on. It's so true. Well, and I love how Romo even knew he was like, nope, Mariano Rivera, it's done. <laughs> right. Now, I remember when Mariano used to come out in the field, you're like, okay, it's a wrap. It's he's unhittable. Like he's going to do it. Just ice cold water running through his veins and just amazing. Like, just absolutely. We'll get, through, amazing. we'll get through all those top storylines. Before that, I have to laugh because with the 325 kickoff and you had all the noon games, because of what was happening earlier, like in across the league and all of the injuries, it was kind of, I shouldn't say funny, but like it was funny to see Chiefs fans being like, you know, what? I'm going to be okay if they bench Patrick Mahomes based on like what's going on today. Like just right. at all the starters, like this is a weird day. Just just go out there and do your best. And we saw it with uh, Terod Taylor. 
uh, and that kind of weird rib injury that flared back up before the game, whatever happened, he went to the hospital. Uh, has got what, what was reported after the game, which is really scary. But um, I think it was funny. The Chiefs fans before the game were talking about all the injuries. He saw it across the league. It was not a good day uh, for the NFL overall and some of their superstar superstars, guys like Saquon Barkley, Nick Bosa, um, both out for the year. The guys who are going to miss time, we already know Michael Thomas, but you've also got Christian McCaffrey, Drew Locke, Jimmy Garoppolo, A.J. Brown, Sterling Shepard, uh, Malik Hooker is going to be out for a while with the Colts. I mean, these are big-time names of guys who are injured who are not going to be back at least for a few weeks, some of those guys like we talked about with Saquon and Nick Bosa out for the year. And Nick is a former player. Like you kind of expected some of this just because of the weird off season and just guys weren't necessarily doing that same kind of dynamic workout. I'm not going to pretend to be like a trainer like that, but some of the workouts were different. Everything was different about this and that I was a little surprised. We'll get to the tackling, <laughs> but between injuries and then just the physical part of the game, you kind of expected some of this to happen, but it's still disappointing to see when it's big time names like this. Well, yeah, and, and usually that's the thing. It's like usually you have like one or two guys throughout the whole season, like looking back that, that you see that had the big injuries and, you know, these stars. But for happening in week two, it's just crazy. And for all it to happen on one day, it's just it's just so wild. And you never – you hate to see it. You, you truly do. And and I think yeah. the, the injuries, they're just a part of it. And just – it's a pure unluckiness, you know. And it just – I didn't see the, the, the Saquon Barkley injury, but, but I heard it was, you know, fairly gnarly and just, ugh. I just, oh, I just, you hate seeing that stuff. Yeah, you just, there's certain things when you see him. Like, I get queasy. Like, when you see those kinds of injuries, anything that's like a knee or like an ankle, like, I can't watch. Like, it's uncomfortable to watch. And it's also just tough because, you know, you know, we talked about this before. We used to talk about this on the old show, you know, when I was working for the team. And I think, to some extent, some people probably thought, you know, certain things that we said and certain things that we did were because at least from, from my per perspective that, you know, you work for the team, you're going to say certain things. Um, I'll never, I don't care what team it is. I get disappointed when I, I was pissed when I saw Derwin James got hurt yeah. for the year, not just because you know, I'm a diehard Chiefs fan and I always will be, but you know, the amount of time that these guys and like when you were playing that you put into this, um, you know, for not a lot of games, you know, the amount of the number of workouts, the amount of time that you guys, put into this craft and then for it to go down and to end so quickly when the careers are so short in the big picture of everything. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking to see and to see it happen across the league. It's not going to be great for the league uh, with some of the games that they're going to have later in the season and prime time that are going to be missing some of the best players, uh, which is not good for the league. Um, but it's just disappointing to see. It's tough to see. And you want to see all those guys get better because you want to see the best brand of football out on the field every week. No, you really do. You really do. And you just feel from too. And it's like, it's just a bump in the road on their career. And you hope they make a speedy recovery and that they, they, they get into the training room, get with their doctors, get second opinions, you know, and, and get, get the best doctor and fix the issue and come back strong for next year. Absolutely. Let's get into this episode and this show, particularly because there's a lot to get into. There's a lot to talk about both good and bad. This is one of those games where you look back, it was a character building uh, type of game. Uh, you, always the you always have the, that coaches, you know, they're young players and guys who had to step up and play a lot of snaps in these games because of injuries. You're, you don't have Bashad Breeland. You don't have Charvarius Ward. Um, Frank Clark was sick. Um, you're getting guys like Mike Dana and Tershawn Wharton, and all these guys are getting a ton of snaps. Uh, Colin Saunders was out in this week. So, so a lot of these young guys are getting some snaps that are going to help them down the road. And so that's not coach speak. Like that is very real when you're thinking in terms of what it means to the young players to get this kind of experience. But uh, this game, let's start with the fire 
Fire Kissed Wings Rundown. So hot right now. Hansel. <laughs> I, I butchered that, Nick. I butchered that. So, no, Fire Kissed Wings. So hot right now, rundown. And it's Harrison Butker. We already talked about it. Two 58-yard field goals. Chiefs franchise only had two 58-yard field goals in their existence. They're both from Nick Lowry like 20 years ago. And Harrison Butker hits two in one game, including a game winner, after hitting it two times before that, which we mentioned at the top of the show. Unbelievable day for Harrison Butker. And just another one of those, you know, tip your cap to Brett Veach for, you know, swooping this guy off the Panthers practice squad a couple years ago. Uh, It was big time. He's good. Is, is, is that where he came from? He was on our practice squad yeah. and, and they found him. That is. Pluck this guy off their practice squad. It's, it's absolutely mind boggling when you can pluck a kicker off a of practice squad. I mean, and just for, for him to be that ice cold, like, and usually, okay. So he made the first one, they call timeout the second one uh, offside or the full start. Right. And then yep. third one, they timeout ice dump. And the fourth was the, the first one was the penalty. Penalty. And made it with the timeout. And then, yeah. Third one. I mean, just just amazing. Because usually when that happens, usually you're like, oh, crap. He wasted his one good kick. But I loved his interviews after the games. The interviews was like, it made me more mad that I had to kick it again. And I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't think about it like that. Like, he's not. I just want to go home. Right? <laughs> just like, I'm done. He's kid. Like I'm bored. I got stuff to do tonight. I want to get back to Kansas City. Like, like, like. Let me get out of LA. The stadium's nice, but let me grab my in and out on the way out, and let's let's get. But yeah, businessman. He, he looks so good. So like, good. I think the word was dapper. I saw that on Twitter from somebody. I apologize. I can't give credit. I can't remember who it was, but somebody said dapper. Just looking like a boss. Yeah. Like I said, like there's an. If you have to draw it up, and I know this is hard for you as somebody who apparently hates kickers. But I like, hate kickers. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm openly jealous of kickers. I know what you mean. I had Carter out kicking field goals yesterday after the game. So like for a kicker to like walk off that way, just, if you had to like put it instead of being like the Super Bowl, but like for that game, for that moment, the coolest, like most puff your chest carried off the field, like yeah. the pictures of him, like just unbelievable. It's the most badass way that you could do something like that is it to is. drill three in a row, opening the new stadium against the division rival. Like awesome. <laughs> I know it's it's double sweetness is is what it is. It really is All nice. Right. All right, let's move to the uh, fried mushrooms rundown. I don't know why I call it that. Just fried mushrooms sound really good right now. So I that's what fried mushrooms. Doing. It's an underrated appetizer. It really it is. is, and they are phenomenal at our friends at Jack Stack. So the first one, the we know what the obvious MVP being Harrison Butker. My not so obvious MVP in this game was Travis Kelsey. And that's because it seems like over the last few years, whenever the Chiefs are struggling offensively and they need to get going, he might not make the biggest play, but he seems to be the one that always gets everyone to calm down a little bit. Just those little like eight to 10 yard receptions, that little, you know, second and six, and he catches it for eight yards. He drops the ball. He kind of stays locked in. I can always tell like how locked in the team is by the way that Kelsey responds after making a big or semi big catch where sometimes if he's fired up and needs to get people going, he'll start talking and you could see it. And then sometimes he just drops the ball and he's locked in. He's businesslike. And that's what I saw yesterday. But when the chiefs offense really needed to make a couple of plays to just get on the board, Travis Kelsey was that guy that kind of grinded them through it. Uh, I know he had the touchdown, but even before that, he had made a couple of catches, finished the game with uh, 90 yards, actually moved into fourth place all time on the chiefs uh, all time receiving list, which is crazy. 
to think about. He's going to be um, approaching Dwayne Bowe here not too long, but um, great job by Travis Kelsey to really be the guy, again, to step up when they really needed somebody to make a play. I agree. He is Mahomes' security blanket sometimes. I feel like uh, Mahomes, I mean, he's still fairly young. Looks like his like, fourth year in the league. And mm -hmm. I just feel like for him, it's his security blanket. And, and I really just feel like uh, he's, he's hyped up early on. And if he can make that connection to Travis Kelsey, then I think everything's going to be good. That's when I feel like Mahomes settles down, right? Yeah, as soon as he yeah. makes that first, whenever it is, that first connection to, to Travis Kelsey, I think that, that that's a beautiful thing is when that happens. Because then it's like, okay, now we can get things rolling. Now we can start our offense again. Yeah. And there were some things that, that we'll get to in our key observations that uh, that need to be better and things that you saw what was happening in the trenches, because I know a lot of people were talking about it on social media. I talked about it a little bit, but uh, I want to ask you because you played there. Uh, but the stat of the game uh, to stay on the rundown here, uh, Patrick Mahomes in the second half. OK, first half had like 60 yards, went like nine of 17 in the second half alone. Patrick Mahomes was 19 of 28 for 242 yards and two touchdowns. In the second half, and and and, and we'll, we'll talk about it later. But there was a bunch of adjustments that happened, and yeah. it just—it's one of those things where it's like a tale of two quarters. And it goes back to last year or the, the year before, where where he just got to settle down, right? And we we forget that he's not this ten-year veteran quarterback who who you know can can get things right. And it's like he's still fairly young, man. It's like what is this? His third year starting. But he's is this so in control of the game. God, it's like, unreal. Like to 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 because most quarterbacks will just be like, you know, just check out. Like screw this. Like everything sucks. I'm getting hit. Um, pressure from from every which way, and I'm just we're gonna go out and do it, man. And and that's what you want in a quarterback is toughness and resiliency. And he has both of those. And he is just cool as the other side of the pillow. And the way, nice, the way that he is just in complete control of the football game. We're going to get, and I, I think I put this on Twitter. We're going to get so enamored throughout his career of the crazy plays and the touchdowns that I don't think we're ever going to give him the amount of respect that he deserves for like the mental acuity he has to stay locked in, to do things like utilize a hard count, to get guys to jump off sides, to know when to run, when to pass, when to get out of bounds, when to throw it away. You don't see a lot of those mistakes. And honestly, we'll get this again in the observation section, but like some of the biggest, you know, the Chargers lost this game. Like they had every reason to win this game. And Justin Herbert throwing back across his body across the middle for the interception is the reason. And that's the next point here on the turning point is that Justin Herbert's interception was the difference in this game. In my opinion, I think the Chiefs made enough plays because the margin of error the Chargers made it big enough that the Chiefs swooped in. It's not very big for the Chiefs, but missing a lot of open throws on some simple passes. A lot of Justin Herbert did great uh, yeah. overall for his first start. But let's not pretend that there weren't plays that if he made some simple throws or some more some plays that he should make if he continues to develop. Uh, we're going to sit here and say, I don't expect him on second and two when there's nobody within 10 yards in front of him to in the future, not just run for a first down and not try to force a play into double coverage, but he did. And that's the reason that the chargers lost the game. In my opinion, they gave the, the chiefs took it when they opened that door, but the chargers did leave that door open. And for me, it started with Herbert's interception because they were up 17 to nine um, at the time. There's only 30 seconds left in the third quarter. 
And then after that, the Chiefs got mad and went 95 yards on six plays with a touchdown to Tyree Kill, tied the game on the crazy two-point conversion. And then it was like, okay, this is the Chiefs we kind of expected. They woke up. But for me, the turning point and the difference in this game was Justin Herbert's interception. And that's going to get forgotten because he's the number six pick and everybody wants to build up this new young quarterback and develop this rivalry. But he knows he can't do that. And we should expect him not to continue to make plays like that. I hope he does as a Chiefs fan. But he he shouldn't. Obviously, you know, and, and it really is though too. I think that that turning point because that really gave the defense a lot of confidence, and, and I think that confidence was depleted in the fourth quarter when they had what a ten minute drive yeah. on them. And and if, I don't think, if you don't have that interception before that, yeah. your confidence is shook. Your body's checked out. Um, you know, you're up uh, up. Uh, you're down by a few more possessions. And so what that did was you're right. It kind of flipped it, flipped the tables a little bit, and then a ten minute drive sort of retilted them. But, you know, that that confidence was still there in the defense and the offense, you know, built off that, too. So it was it was it was the little thing, the little thing, but it made a big difference. It really did. Especially yeah. in the red zone like that, too. It was beautiful. As our guy Matt McMullen said, Legereus Sneed, the rookie fourth round pick, is now on pace for 16 interceptions this season. <laughs> His run rate is fantastic it. right I now. That one. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> I loved it. I um, love stats like that, right? And you projections like that. Like, okay, sure, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, never forget the one with uh, Marcus Peters because he, like, intercepted the first pass of his career, like, first snap of his career down in Houston. So it was like, Marcus Peters on pace for 6,000 career interceptions. <laughs> so just Dumb. what the data says. Dumb. Anyway, speaking of dumb, the last stat, you know Patrick Mahomes when starting a game? Uh, the Chiefs are six and zero when trailing by in games that they trailed by double digits at any point. It's the the new thing is don't get up past nine on the Chiefs. That's going to be the new analytics. It's what's going to say it's like ooh we're we're going to score here, but then we'll go up by by twelve. Should we do that? Like no, we should just kneel it because then they're going to come back and beat us. Right? That's going to be never lost the game by more than a possession. He's <laughs> never lost the game in which he trailed by double digits. <laughs> That's a stupid stat. That's a really stupid stat. Like that's Don't stupid. Normalize like, that's this stupid stuff. God, that's crazy. We're gonna get to the observations right now. The crime crown prime beef rib key observations, and we will get into that. And the first, let's just talk about it now. Don't, Don't normalize this stuff. We cannot normalize how crazy this stuff is because everybody on Twitter now wants to talk about like we preach. Don't become Patriots fans. Like. Don't get fickle. Don't get all. I know I did. I'm gonna do it every week, but I saw it in the first half, and fans were freaking out on Twitter, and it was like, "Relax. We have the most talent. We have a Hall of Fame coach who's one of the best coaches in NFL history, and we have a team full of leaders who are locked in, who want to be great. They don't just. They're not just gonna settle on that Super Bowl. Like they are hungry to go out there and make plays. And yes, it's not always gonna be pretty, but trust in the leadership, Coach Reed, and the talent." And the fact that they're locked in. If you do those things, we won't have situations like yesterday where everybody thinks that it's what we've seen is what we're going to keep seeing. Like they're going to make adjustments. Eventually they're going to make plays. That's why I always have confidence in those situations until the clock runs out because I've seen this movie before. But <laughs> no, you have. let's not normalize coming back from double digits on the road against another professional football team that's got a lot of really good football players on it, that this stuff isn't normal and Chiefs fans don't take it for granted. Let's say right. every week. And then with all the injuries out too, and then, you know, them going with Herbert, I mean, a, a lot of people think like, oh, wow, they couldn't handle this, this quarterback. Well, I mean, go Tyrod Taylor. He's been around for a while. 
you have data on him. You know, he has tendencies that, that are logged in. You know what to expect. And then all of a sudden, you know, without even announcing that he was out for the game, it's like, oh, Herbert's get to start, like literally on the sideline before kickoff. And it's like, okay, yeah. wow, okay, so now you got to adjust to that. So that's tough to do. It's like turns back into a week one game. And like we talked about week one games, they're unpredictable because you don't know what to expect. So I'm sure they're running the same things they would run for Tyrod. They're both athletic mobile quarterbacks. But, um, you know, I think that with Herbert playing so well, too, it was like, that's amazing. And you think with all the injuries to the Chargers, it's going to be uh, um, like a, a, you're going to blow them up. But, man, those are guys who step up and play. They want they want yeah. to play. They're trying to earn their spot. You know, they're trying to Wally Pip uh, or do the Lou Gehrig to Wally Pip. So yeah, yeah. It, I, I agree. If I was a Chargers uh-huh. fan, like I would feel okay about that start and that it didn't feel like the moment was too big for him. He made mistakes. He was a little juiced up on some of those easy throws. It's not yeah. the hard throws. It was no. the easy little swing pass, those touch passes um, that he struggled with that would have made a huge difference, particularly a couple of those key third down throws where the plays were there to be made and they just didn't get made. And then we talked, we already talked about the interception. So, um, but it seemed he was laughing. He was smiling, looked like he ha- was having a good time. Uh, I'm curious to see how much like having a crowd, not having a crowd there actually helped the rookie quarterback in that scenario. And that he didn't have that atmosphere and that for him, it just maybe felt like practice that it was just kind of like a, against another team. I know Tyree Kill talked about that after the game, about how weird it was um, to not have, you know, fans in the stands because uh, their first game, obviously, in Kansas City, they did have some fans. They had like yeah. 16,000. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, COVID's still coming out. So <laughs> um, the other thing that I do want to talk about, because I had my sister was actually texting me about it last night. She goes, why is the crowd noise thing feel so weird? Because you know fans aren't there, but it still feel feels weird when you see it. And my best explanation is that you don't get to see the players react to the crowd because the players don't hear what you hear as a fan at home. Yeah. This is just my like two cents on why it just feels weird. It's because you hear the noise, you hear the celebration, but then you don't hear, you don't see a single player like react to what you normally do. There's no like continuity between the noise you hear and the celebration you see. And it just seems disjointed. That's, yeah, that's it, feel, well, it feels false because that's what it is, right? We hear it more on the TV feed copy than we do at the game. And I experienced this this uh, past or during this time with the watch. I love English Premier League soccer. And they, they would have where you could, there's an app, the NBC app, where you could listen to the games without the crowd noise. And that's what I wish. I mean, that's what I wish we would do. Like, just yeah, go right. that. Because you can hear people swearing, which people do not realize how much how many pirates there are on the sidelines of a game. It's like you come off and it's like, man, get the effing ball into the effing place. And what the F are you doing right now? This is some dumb S right now. And you mother effer and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we could hear that. And and it's, I think you would realize how much players are locked in on the sidelines and anything you say on the sidelines of game day is inadmissible in court. Right. It's like <laughs> the next day you're like, Oh, Hey, how you doing, Jim? How you doing? What's up? There's a lot of fans have different opinions and they think all the players hated each other you, like, you, so know what it is. you know what it's like on there bj yeah. these guys got along like this is they're normal yeah you're like oh they fight okay cool i'm not gonna say the first time it wasn't like what's what's going on over here and this is like, right? hugging yeah exactly no big deal all right, let's get into the rest of these observations we get into the meat of the episode here <laughs> we'll start with the side of the ball um Let's talk about tackling because we we talked about it last week on this show. I remember both of us saying like we thought the tackling in that Thursday game was better than we expected. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was just 
this crazy off season and just locked in whatever it was. Uh, but we did not see that tackling yesterday. It was brutal um, for a majority of the game. You actually kind of saw him get fired up in the second, particularly early in the second half. It feels like they made a concerted effort to wrap up and drive through. But early in that game, there were so many missed tackles. And it was just, that's what I expected last week. And it ended up playing a huge part in this game, particularly with that late drive. No, it really is too. And I think it's when you're a defense, when you're defensive minded and you're down and you're frustrated and they're running the ball on you, you just want to go out there and you just want to just hammer someone right into the 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 crust of the earth, as I believe Barstool Sports with the stiff arm. Um, you want to just smash someone into the ground. And instead of going for a nice simple wrap-up form tackle, uh, they go for these sort of kill shots. And then that's how you miss tackles, right? That's how you slip off it. And then what those did, there was a lot of missed tackles. And if you go back and look at the stats that I'm sure yards after contact was huge for Sam, or for the Chargers. It was huge. And it's frustrating too when you have someone locked up and then everyone else kind of lets off the gas pedal and then they get more yards. And it's like, oh, wow. And it could really – it's something needs to get corrected. Is it yeah, a problem? Yeah. It was the biggest <laughs> offensively as far as just like corrections that need to be made. Cause we talked about it earlier. There's a lot of injuries. There's a lot of different guys out there. There's a lot of guys who aren't playing their best right now. And they know that, uh, but at the end of the day, it's a team game. Uh, part of, you know, fans being engaged like they are in chiefs fans is having an opinion and, and wanting to discuss it. And that shouldn't be seen as a negative for fans to be engaged like that, that they care enough to talk about all the missed tackles and all these things. Um, but it's definitely something, you know, Steve Spagnolo is going to be having on the guys probably right now watching that film as they get ready for next week, because I think that was in the back of everybody's mind when they were watching us not be able to tackle Austin Eckler and Josh Kelly is how you can do that to Mark Ingram, Lamar Jackson and JK Dobbins next Monday night against the Baltimore Ravens. And I fully expect these guys to come back locked in and play better. You can't have guys like Tyron Matthew and Chris Jones and Frank Clark and guys who are locked in that when they speak, people will listen to what they have to say. You can't have guys locked in like that and not be better. But um, there's not to say that all three of those guys can't play better. They'd be the first people to tell you that. Um, but as somebody who played in the trench, I don't want to ask you because when I was watching the game, I wasn't watching for it specifically of what was happening up front. I know that we have some injuries, some new guys in there, some guys getting a lot of snaps that if everybody was healthy in an ideal world, a lot of these guys probably wouldn't be getting the same number of snaps that they are right now. Um, maybe that's not fair to say, but that's just what it is right now. What were you seeing in the trenches up front for the Chiefs defensively that made it feel like even when it felt like, hey, that's that was a decent stop, but somehow it was still six or seven yards. What was happening? So I think what they're doing is, is, and I don't know if, if it's a concept or not or a defense scheme, but I feel like they were more reading in, in like the first half. And then like, they were kind of like, kind of on their heels just a little bit. They weren't, they weren't attacking the line of scrimmage. I think San Diego's O-line, you know, they're kind of a patchwork and got some young, young, young folks in there. Um, yeah. they, they were getting combo blocks and, you know, they, they were getting off the line of scrimmage and they were doing some inside draw plays. They were doing some, some zone concepts where, the, the backside was open and they were hitting those holes and they were running at Chris Jones. Um, and then the second half, I feel like uh, what Spagnola did for adjustments was I think there were some more run blitzes where the first or second down and they're in like a, like a, like an 80% run heavy personnel grouping. They, they were blitzing the Sam, you know, they're blitzing the will. And, and I feel that Chris Jones, when Chris Jones started to get penetration, like when they were saying, hey, you're not two gapping right now, you're you're single gap, you have this B gap, just get penetration, crush the run. 
I think that really stopped everything. I think that really stymied the the, the Chargers and and what they're trying to do offensively from a run standpoint. And basically, it said, "Hey, listen, Chris, do your thing, dude. Just get penetration, uh, create havoc, and then we'll deal with it from from our end." Yeah, every time I see it, and I see him like swim through a gap, and he gets into the backfield, and then they cut back and run right through it. That's where I don't know because it. You, you, I can make the case if it makes sense to me that both things are true and that he got in the backfield, caused disruption, that that was what he was supposed to do in that play. And I've also got the – he just wants to make a play and he's going to kind of swim around his gap to do it. We saw it with guys like Derek Johnson all the time, that they would like dip under blocks and do things that you weren't necessarily taught, but it worked out. So it was like, that's okay. So I don't know if that's what's happening there, but there are times where it seems like he's swimming through his gap and they run right behind it. And I see it and it's like, I is that what he's supposed to do? I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend to know that that's for those guys to figure out. Um, but either way, something is going wrong for plays like that to happen. And the run fits are off because guys should be running for eight yards down the field and basically not getting touched through the first line of the defense. Um, but besides the missed tackling, let, <laughs> I can't even segue to a different one. Let's talk about the 10 minute drive in the fourth oh, quarter. Oh my two, God. Only two third downs, but that felt like a drive that needed to go 12 minutes instead of 10. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't have given us the chance to go down there and tie the game, but um, that was the the backbreaker. And that, that was tough to watch. And that was, was. Uh, that was frustrating to watch. And it's what you want to do too, right? I mean, to, to, to keep Mahomes off the field, to wear down the, to wear down the defense. I mean, it's such a combination of things that, that you can achieve and it just sort of asserting your dominance on them. And, you know, that, that's how you, you keep the game. That's how you win games versus the chiefs. And it's, it's what people are going to want to do because you're not going to want to get into a shootout with, with the chiefs because you know what weapons that they have. And, and sometimes you have to do it with your, your other phase of the game where your best defense is a great offense and just, you know, eat that time off the clock and keep Mahomes off the field. And it was, that was that was brutal to watch, and like I said, if we didn't have that Herbert interception before that, that would have been the backbreaker. That would have been like the keys to the Chargers winning that game yesterday. Yeah, and so those those are the bad things defensively that we went through. The good news is Mike Pinnell should be back after his two game suspension. He should be back next week, uh, so it'd be great to get that attitude back there in the middle of the defense, particularly going up on Monday night um, against the Baltimore Ravens. He's going to be fired up. For that one, MVP Pinnell, but hopefully Traverius Ward, you know, he's got the hand um, and he can come back. Bashad Breeland still out a couple of weeks and some other injuries, um, particularly like Sammy Watkins and that hit, which I don't oh, want to talk about because this is a family yeah. show. Yeah. Um, it could be a family show. I don't know. Right. Um, but in case I'm dropping okay. a bunch of F-bombs, we'll wait, we'll wait till like the fifth episode. Yeah. He's got to be a, a FedEx wait for him when he gets back on Monday or Wednesday. Cause that was a helmet to helmet. How that wasn't called was just beyond me. I was like, what are you doing? Like that's I mean, player safety all the way. You can't leave with your helmet. I mean, that's just, yeah. It's been a bad decisions, uh, punting it to the chiefs with seven forty to go in the, in overtime, giving the chiefs the ball back. Um, it's a, it's damned. If you do damned, if you don't, yeah. you're going to get called out no matter what happens, unless it works, even if it does mm-hmm. work. You know, the analytics nerds are going to tell you like, hey, you shouldn't have done that. Um, I shouldn't say that. We're nerds over on this side, too. I love analytics. Um, yeah, I do but I, yeah, I'm really upset that BFF's numbers aren't AX. I was trying to figure out our missed tackles, although I don't really want to see that number, but I kind of want to see that number. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we talked about all the, the issues that the Chiefs had on that side of the ball defensively. Uh, the truth is, when they had to make plays, they did. We talked about the bad decision from Justin Herbert. Jerry Sneed still had to go make that catch. 
Uh, and there were times where it felt like the defense was right there, ready to make a play. A couple of those throws that Justin Herbert made, particularly the one to Keenan Allen, where Legereus Sneed was all over it. It seemed like Tyron Matthew was like two inches away from making a play on the ball. Sometimes you just tip your cap. The other guys go out and make plays. Um, and you have to say that for our defense as well. As much as I want to say Justin Herbert's decision uh, was a direct impact and the turning point in the Chiefs winning that game. At the end of the day, the Legereus Sneed still had to go out there and make that play. And we've seen guys go out there in situations like that and not catch the ball and not make the play. Um, so that was good to see. So now let's move to the other side of the ball, Nick, and talk about the offensive line. And let's stay in the trenches, but on outside yeah. the trenches, because the thing that confused me the most, and I was texting, I tweeted at Jeff Schwartz, and we were actually texting. You and I texted a little bit, and I was going to text out to Duke Miniweather, all my offensive line guys. They're like, what's happening? Because when I see a quarterback – in shotgun, get the ball and take a couple of steps back and get sacked on a, ru- a pass rusher. Doesn't have to change his arc at all. Just runs a straight line right for him. Something is off based on the communication. I don't know if it's Mahomes or the offensive line or just the communication of where he's going to be standing. But I'm going to explain this for the layperson, and then you, as a all-American at K-State, a Super Bowl champion center for the New Orleans Saints, can explain it in a way that makes sense. But for me, f- fans should know that on protections, the offensive line knows exactly where the quarterback is supposed to be standing. And so they create the pocket around that. Now they can move that pocket around left and right, which I thought they would do a little bit more based on the pressure they were getting. Coach Reed's really good about just moving that target, just moving that spot. Because most time pass rushers, it seems like, are running to a spot. They're not rushing at the quarterback. They're rushing to where they think the quarterback is going to be. And you can combat that by moving them around. When I see a pass rusher basically run a straight line and sack the quarterback, either the offensive lineman was unaware of where he was going to be standing or Mahomes is drifting back or is doing something with his feet that he's not supposed to and not helping his offensive line. Does that make sense? And can you please explain to me what the hell was happening? Because it didn't look right at all. So as an interior lineman, so guard center guard, you know, the quarterbacks behind you. Right. And then there are certain plays like on waggles and rollouts where, where they're going to move that pocket off to the side. Um, and then as a tackle, you key in. So if you're in shotgun, so you say gun, right, I fly, blah, blah, blah. So you know that, okay, so he's in gun and it's this play. So it's, 74 is protection, and he's going to do a six or seven step drop. So you sort of have a general idea that, okay, he's in shotgun, so it's five steps, and then two more steps at seven. And then when Mahomes, um, when he drifts back to nine yards deep, what that does is, is you're right, is, is, you know, you have an angle, the, the, the DN has an angle on that where he doesn't really have to round the corner to get around the tackle, and he's got to run a straight line. So he doesn't have to change it. So that's why I put stress on those tackles because tackles are expecting him to be at seven yards. And that's kind of where they have in their mind where they're setting up at. And if he's at nine yards, that throws it off. And you're blocking him. You think you have your DM blocked and all of a sudden he's got your quarterback wrapped up and you're like, what in the hell just happened? Like, how did I just get such a soft sack? And it's just, there's always going to be an example. Like we talk about it and then somebody will come up with an example of an offensive lineman getting beat and be like, Oh, is this, you know, Patrick Mahomes fault. Um, But when you see a sack and you see like Mitch Schwartz not get beat and then the DN just like runs straight to the quarterback. That was the one where I saw the replay. I was like, what's happening here? Cause Mitch Schwartz didn't get beat on the play. Yeah. They just like ran up and maybe he didn't push him up the line, but he didn't even really have to because Bosa just ran a straight line right for him. So it is. Um, and, well, it, and, and it's and it's a buildup. It's a buildup too, right? Because you look in the first half, I mean he was getting clobbered, 
right? He right. was getting absolutely just beat up from every which direction. So I get the drift is a natural response to how do I get back more so I can have time to step up and throw. And he talks about it. And he's talked about this a lot. Then when he gets lazy with his feet, he starts drifting backwards. He talked about it last year often. I mean, this is what he talks about. When he struggles, he starts drifting back. And he mentions it. Coach Reed mentions it. He's not a guy who's above criticism when he's doing things that are putting the offense in positions where um, they're not as efficient as they should be. And when he's getting some of that pressure, and like you said, it makes sense why he's doing it. He's trying to make plays. But you saw in the second half a few of those times where he stayed in the pocket, planted his right foot, and then stepped up and made a throw with guys coming around him that they did make plays. And that I think we saw it on the Clyde Edwards-Elair catch before the last field goal. I think that was one of those plays where he stayed in there, didn't drift, stepped up, and you could see the guys go just missing behind him. But if he had taken a half a step back, it would have been a sack. But because of the angles, like you talked about, he stayed in, delivered the ball. So when he had to make a couple of those throws and those plays, he did. And when he has to get outside the pocket and make a crazy throw down the field to Tyreek Hill and double coverage for a touchdown to win a football game or to tie a football game, uh, he can do that too. It is. And, and with the pocket, people really don't understand is that inches are our feet. Right. If you can move just just one or two inches, then then that that'll give you so much more more space in that pocket. Because if you look at some of those times when a quarterback goes to rear his hand up and to make a throw, and they whiff like a DM will whiff on you know hitting a ball on an arm. You know that's a, an inch or two that that is big. And and I think what the Chiefs started doing too is in the second half they reduced the pressures. They used double tight sets, uh, so you're only getting two wide receivers out. Um, you know, so like a max protection, seven or eight man protection where, you know, chip and help double so drop chip and Joey. Yeah. right. Yeah, that's perfect. And then, and that's why you see he was, he was hurting later on in overtime where he was just gassed. Well, that's cause he gave it his all too, but they were using double cadences. So what they would do is they, they get up there. You see Mahomes get under center and go yellow 80, yellow 80. So, huh? And what that does is that that holds those D linemen in their stance. So they're like, they're like ready. They're like a rubber band that just pulled tight. And they're ready just to pop. And so once you have them in their stance for a while, it's an old Peyton Manning trick where, or Tom Brady, where you're going through cage, you're holding them. And, and that's an advantage of O-linemen because we can sit in our stance for five minutes. DNs, you know, they, that's why you see them kneel until they start the cadence. But I think those double cadences and pre-snap adjustments really helped minimize pressures and helped Mahomes go through his reads. Yeah, I think the no crowds being in the stadiums, the the unintended consequence that none of us saw coming were the hard counts and how much louder it is to those defensive linemen. Uh, they normally have the noise of the crowd kind of drowning it out, and you have all this like ambient noise. You don't have any of that. And no, you really I, I don't. love to see the numbers. I'm sure somebody's tweeted it out somewhere, and maybe it's not a thing. But it seems like there have been more false starts in the first two weeks than we would normally see, not just in the Chiefs games, but other games you've seen. You know, it's a copycat league, and everybody starts seeing it. So now everybody's using hard counts. Uh, the Chiefs were using it for multiple reasons yesterday, yeah. and they needed it. Um, but, yeah, it was interesting to see. Uh, it's been interesting to see how much the, the hard counts has really made a difference. Um, and kind of along the same lines of the pressure and not having a whole lot of time and the, the max protection, all of that, is a stat that you mentioned um, that you saw during the TV broad broadcast that no wide receiver caught a pass until there was like, you know, less than two minutes to go in the first half. And some of it could be by design. Some of it was just, you didn't have a lot of time. Um, but either way, you got to give credit to Gus Bradley and what they were able to do defensively early in the game. Cause it really had the chiefs uh, off kilter and you don't see that a whole lot. No, you really don't too. And I think that they got, they got a hell of a, a, a pass rush trio too. the chargers do. So that Trey was something that, 
Yeah, he really is. And that's your, third, that's your third pass rusher, yeah. right? After you have two two amazing people in um, is it, uh, Ingram and Wabosa. I mean, just yeah. to add Tillery into the mix too, it's just, I'm like, oh my God, really? Like, oh, the way that's they, a hell of a The way that Gus Bradley, I remember when I was with the Chiefs, like we broke, I broke it down every week and that the pressure that they can cause with their stunts and games that they, when they put Ingram and Bosa on the same side and we saw they were moving Bosa around some of the biggest moments in that game, he was lined up over Wiley. He was lined up inside Mm -hmm. to use some of that quickness, but um, their ability and the the games that they run off of one another. And now to have a guy like Jerry Tillery, when you put Bosa and Ingram on one side, running games and stunts and all the communication and problems that go with that. And then on the backside, you've got a guy who can win a one-on-one battle and Jerry Tiller, a guy that I loved coming out of Notre Dame. I wasn't thrilled to see him go to the chargers. Um, but I was hoping it would be kind of like a Corey Legit, where he was just kind of like, Hey, he's a good player, but he's not going to be like a difference maker to where he just like wrecks games. Um, and then he was wrecking the game for the game. But um, last thing I want to talk about offensively, and it's the play that, you know, we all just kind of gloss over. It's like, yeah, it's just normal. Uh, Patrick Holmes, the Terry kill uh, for the touchdown. Uh, heard after the game, I saw him talking about, you know, it was a play that they wanted earlier in the game. They just couldn't find the right situation to set it up, which means they got the look. They know the coverage that they were going to get based on the formation that they had and the personnel grouping. They knew what they were going to have, and they knew that it was going to be a good chance to be successful. And luckily for the Chiefs, they found a way uh, to let Patrick Mahomes do things that is that are just not normal. And Coach Reed doesn't say blasphemy thing, like isn't a take guy. Even he said after the game, is like, no one else can make that throw on yeah. the run like that. Like it's just with a hit coming, with a hit right. coming, and yeah. just I mean, and then and Tyree Kill to be to bounce up too after that catch to not get touched before he gets in the end zone too. Just amazing, And I like I like what they say too is like we couldn't find the time to get it. And, and what that speaks to is is the Chiefs not forcing a play. And I think sometimes you have to say, okay, here's the right grouping. Oh, we got the matchup. Okay, let's take it. Right. Yeah. And when you force plays, you know, that's when you run into problems where, where you get interceptions and um, you, know, you get bad, bad things happening. Yeah. I apologize. We're I think we're playing uh, hide and seek. Fair enough. All right. Let's go to our last segment in this show. Uh, and one that I'm really going to enjoy uh, every week. And I know that you are too, because at the end of the day, like you and I spend more time probably talking about stories and just weird things uh, than we do anything else. So uh, the tailgate special story time will be our final segment today and moving forward. And we've got a fun little surprise for loyal listeners here at outside the trenches. But uh, in case you didn't know the tailgate special, the quarterback pack, uh, it's eight pork spare ribs, one pound of beef burn ends, one pound of smoked sausage medallions, and pint-sized sides of beans and cheesy corn bake. All of that for just 50 bucks. And Nick, we talked about this before because we wanted to do something to kind of give back. And we've got this wonderful sponsor and we've got this great barbecue and everybody loves it. How can we help spread that love and pay it forward a little bit uh, with people in Chiefs Kingdom who deserve it? So that's exactly what we are going to do every week and that we are going to send a $50 pack quarterback tailgate special pack of barbecue uh, to a Chiefs fan who deserves it every week. And we need your help, Chiefs fans, to let us know who that's going to be. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. We're going to send you barbecue for the game next week, but you have to let us know. You have to prove to us that you subscribe to the show on one of the platforms, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Apple, or whether it's And you need to tell us why you know somebody who deserves a barbecue. Can't be for you. 
This is about paying it forward. It's about doing a good thing for somebody else. So let us know somebody that you feel like needs a little pick me up, needs some barbecue and that uh, you can introduce to this show. That would be great for us, but uh, we'll get that all squared away. We'll deliver the barbecue to you and take care of you. Um, send you that tailgate special, um, but it should be a lot of fun as um, you know, who doesn't love barbecue. Yeah. Right. It really does. It really does. So now it's story time though. This is so story I- I feel like um, my, my my favorite uh, Qualcomm moment uh, would be, okay. I, I would have to say for sure would be, I think it was 06 and I was with Arizona and we were out of it. So we, we were trying to play home field advantage records for the Chargers. And and I remember we barely, it was a close game, um, but I thought, you know, played, played all right. And after the game, uh, they had, um, it, it was, it's a great moment. It's a, it's a really crappy moment because you're out of the playoffs, but it's a great moment because the season's done. So it's week 17. We're in San Diego. And after the game, we lose a close contested battle. You know, the Chargers were a great team that year in 06. And they had in and out for us uh, on the buses. And I remember grabbing, seriously, I grabbed four boxes of burgers. Uh, so like, I had like four or six double-doubles and fries. And just I, I ate my emotions. And it was bittersweet because it was like we didn't make playoffs. We were out of it by November. And uh, but, but I played all right. And um, I was about to have a vacation from football. So that was my 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 defining moment of Qualcomm. Plus, it's like late January and it's just like 70 degrees. And I'm like, what? Or, or early or late December, early January. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 70 and sunny every day. It's perfect. Oh, I love it there. You lived out there for four years. Yeah, your old place, your old stomping grounds. I don't want to talk about that, but I wish they'd go back. But my my funny story, and I, I teased this a little bit on Twitter yesterday just because I realized I'd never told this story before. Um, and she's <laughs> kind of poetic. Um, but last game ever played at Qualcomm Stadium, the Chiefs win. Uh, but before the game was played, the way that Qualcomm was set up and to get up to like the press box, uh, there was one elevator. Uh, it was basically in like the middle of the um, – like concourse area that you had to take to get up to the stadium. It was just one old, uh, and Qualcomm was old, needed to be renovated. San Diego leaves because they didn't get the stadium. If you, this story, you need to know the backstory of the Spanos and getting out of, wanting to get away from San Diego and wanting a new stadium, not getting one, and then being, you know, lured to LA. And it was basically like Crocky, it's a Ram stadium that the Chargers get to lease. And there's that whole mess. And if you're somewhat familiar with it, I think you'll find some poetic, just kind of funny. Um, but before the game the Chiefs played against the Chargers in that last game, I was in the elevator on my way up to the press box and I was riding with one of the ladies who worked for, you know, like their Aramark. Like, I don't know what company they use, but whoever was you know delivering food to like the media, like she had like the media, like all the food. And we just got to talking because the elevator was really slow and didn't really work very well. Uh, and she told me the story of how like an hour earlier, um, she was on the elevator, you know, delivering more food and the elevator actually broke and it was her and one other person and the elevator in the last game, but <laughs> the Chargers ever played in Qualcomm, the elevator broke and she was stuck on that elevator for, she, I think she said less than, it was less than an hour, but it was like, I think she had 20 or 30 minutes stuck in the elevator with Dean Spanos. The owner of the Chargers got stuck in an elevator in the last game ever played at Qualcomm because the elevator was so old it broke. <laughs> and he was trying to get a new stadium, wanted to leave, and I just thought there's there's a funny story. And I told her, I go, that's kind of poetic and kind of weird. You know, mm-hmm. it's last time we played here, the team's leaving, and she just looked at me and smiled. She goes, Yeah, it was really weird. 
So, yeah, that's the, the random story. Thanks for listening. Uh, but uh, I'll never forget that last game played at Qualcomm and hearing the story of the, the lady who was stuck in the elevator with Dean Spanos, which I can't imagine what he was thinking. You know, oh, freaking elevator, like, just get me out of this place. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm ready to leave, right? Yeah. So that was story time. Now, we're going to share a couple other stories uh, for anybody who wants to listen um, because we haven't had a chance really to – you know, tell people like kind of how the show started and how you and I even met. Like we, people know that we both went to K-State and we overlapped, but you and I didn't meet, know each other uh, when we were in college. And so if anyone cares and still listening, um, you know, our diehard outside the trenches fans um, haven't heard this before uh, and haven't kind of heard, you know, why we got into this, why we continue doing it and all that kind of stuff. So um, Nick, I want to give you like a quick 30 second synopsis of who you are, where you're from and, uh, and how football has been a part of your life. So I'm Nick Leckie. I'm originally from Grapevine, Texas, and that's in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm uh, right in between Dallas and Fort Worth. Uh, played football at Kansas State. Um, got drafted in the sixth round in the 2004 NFL draft by the Cardinals. Uh, spent six years in the NFL, had 32 starts. Um, three in Arizona, two in St. Louis Rams. I'm old now. And uh, one in New Orleans where uh, won the Super Bowl. And then I was asked not to come back after that. That's how I come back. Why did you retire? And I'm like, they didn't ask me to come back. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, not uh, hello, I'm here. Um, you guys need a, a center guard? No, no, you're good. Oh, no, nothing. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then I think I think the the genesis of this is um, like for for you and I was I remember you were writing for was it Bleacher Report? Yeah. It was like it was, after, like, it was after Arrowhead Pride when we were talking about We had come back. Yeah. It was when we moved back from San Diego. I think it was 2013. Okay. That we first that started like, for, I just randomly reached out to you because it was like, mm-hmm. I don't know this stuff and my platform's getting bigger. I need to learn this game or at least <laughs> have an idea of what I don't know. Because it's one of those like, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And exactly. You were active on Twitter. I was active. And I, shame's not the right word, but I have zero problem being like, I don't know. Like, I'll just ask oh. anyone who listens to the show. Well, no, I'm not going to pretend to know everything. So I remember reaching out to you and you were so nice as somebody that I just remember is like, hey, this this guy actually played football. And here I am, like writing and talking about it. It's always that weird, like, how are people going to respond to you asking questions about a game that in some ways at that time I was getting paid, not very much, but like getting paid to have an opinion on it. And you don't have to know everything about the game. You don't have to be basically a college football coach to cover the NFL but you have to know what you don't know. You have to know what questions to ask and all that kind of stuff. So it's basically the spirit of which you and I first started talking was you being gracious enough to, to answer the questions and not have that kind of football ego to say like, well, this guy, you know, blah, 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 like how you want to throw it away. But you never had that. And we got along from the beginning. So when it came yeah. back, when it was, Hey, let's start a podcast network. It was like, I want to work with Nick because yeah. he's funny. We have the same kind of personality and I don't feel like I'm, giving up something by saying like, Hey, I don't know. Just explain this to me. I don't know what I'm seeing here. Cause you don't see that a lot. There are a lot of people that are like that. And there are a lot of very good media people. There's also a lot of media people who pretend to have the answer to every single thing that happened on and both terrible. Oh, with any position group. It's like, yeah. 
You well, can't yeah, know everything about everything. No, you can't. You absolutely cannot. Like, like most of like the defensive back stuff, like I can see general concepts and things like that, but I'm not, I'm not seeing what they're doing. Like when I know when they roll a coverage right late and things like that from an offensive lineman, but you know what they get into, like when Tony Roma talked about the deep thirds and things like that, I'm like, Oh, that's what that means. Okay, cool. <laughs> I always wonder what they meant, but no, I think with you, BJ too, is, is uh, your writing was, was, was really, really good. And, and I read, I, I mean, people know this, but I read a lot. So I read a lot of books. Um, I read um, articles. Um, football, non-football, that kind of stuff, and and I loved your writing. It was, it was on point, and you, you know you almost stuck to what you know. So that's why I respected you. And I remember you reached out to me like, "Hey, let's go get a beer and some wings," and we got, grabbed a beer and some wings. Oh, and, I didn't even know it yet. Yeah, no. And then six years later, well, you started um, the, in the trenches, and you were like, "Let's do it." I'm like, "I'd love to." Yeah, um, I guess I haven't been on. So I'm BJ. Thanks for listening. Um, I uh, I grew up in Stillwell, Kansas. Mm-hmm. About 30 minutes south of, about 15 minutes south of Overland Park. It's actually considered Overland Park now, but graduated from Blue Valley High School. Um, played football when I was younger. It wasn't very good. Um, hi, cutie. You want to come sit with me real quick? We're just wrapping up the show. Where is my babies? I don't know where your babies are. I'll come find them with you in a minute, okay, no, sweetheart? My mommy don't know where is them, too. Okay, come sit with me for a second, and I'll come help you. You come sit with me? You come say hi? Come here. So, yeah, I grew up and still played football in high school. It wasn't that great. This is my daughter. Everyone say hi. 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 So I, I played football in high school. I wasn't very good. Um, I didn't play my senior year as a quarterback, um, not varsity. The guys a year above me was really good. But I uh, played football in high school. was lucky enough my sophomore year to be a part of a state championship team. We had a lot of really good seniors and a lot of guys who really knew what they were doing. I played for a legendary high school coach and Steve Rampey, um, who's at Blue Valley High School for a long time, won a bunch of state titles, went to Pitt State, uh, was the offensive coordinator down there, was part of a national championship. I thought he was done, and now he's over in Lawrence coaching high school football. But even before that, um, this is stuff that people probably don't know a lot about. Like My dad was the PA announcer at Blue Valley High School for 30 years calling games. And so like as a kid, I was the spotter for him in the press box on Friday nights for Blue Valley High School watching guys like Brian Schottenheimer when he was the quarterback there, you know, and, and Matt Vandry, one of his best friends, one of our family friends, watching those guys play. And then when I got old enough to be on the sideline, I was the ball boy at Blue Valley High School for Coach Rampy. And my mom was a teacher at Blue Valley High School for 30 years too. So like I was always around the game. I was always interested in the game. Um, I just wasn't very good at it. I was good at baseball. Uh, and so that's what I spent my time doing. But um, I went to college, played baseball at K-State. My wife played volleyball there while you were playing football. So we were all there together. Um, but then after, you know, school was done, you know, I played baseball, but I knew I wasn't, you know, every athlete has that time where you're told you're not good enough to continue playing. Yours happened after a Super Bowl. Mine happened after uh, we swept Baylor my senior year, uh, the last weekend playing baseball. But, um, but yeah, it, football has always been a thing. I, I grew up going to games with my dad. I talked about all, that all the time, uh, but I just love the sport. I love talking about the sport. I love facilitating discussions about the sport. It's what I did at Arrowhead Pride when I first started there. It's what I did at Bleacher Report. Uh, it's what I did with the Chiefs. It wasn't, I know everything. There's certain things that I know just from my perspective. Uh, besides that, I'm just going to talk about what I see, what I think, and some stories that I've heard, uh, and hopefully people like it. And so I appreciate your kind words. I was more of a writer. I was a writer when I started. Now I don't write anymore, which is really weird. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a good thing. I appreciate you, man, for uh, for doing all this. We have a love fest going on right now. I realize. Oh, we do. Yeah. 
But anyway, we that's kind of a, the background on you know our football stuff and kind of how the show started, how Nick and I first started talking. We hadn't explained that before on yeah. any of the that we've ever done. So it made the, the episode long. And if you're still listening, we appreciate it. But uh, Nick, do you have any parting words before we let everyone go? See kids, it pays to meet people on the internet. <laughs> IRL. <laughs> so many disclaimers. We're gonna have to get lawyers. Like that's can't do that. So <laughs> as he's advocating for meeting strangers online, I will say um, kids don't do that. Uh, be smart, uh, be vigilant. And um, thanks for listening again. Please send us, I can't do this. Please send us uh, your recommendations on somebody to deliver a tailgate special barbecue package to next week. Again, make sure you send us proof of subscription and then let us know why you think that they deserve the barbecue and a little pick me up. Besides that, Thank you for listening to the second episode of In the Trenches as the Chiefs are 2-0. and Yeah, baby. Nick, you're, you're already done. You're already checked out. 2-0. and And you can nominate me for the tailgate special. I'll, I'll be happy to take some spare ribs and um, some burn-ins and the, the sausage medallions. You just told everyone to go meet strangers online. That's, hey, that's what you're about to you're do. You're fired from <laughs> this week. All right. Thanks, everybody. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.